1: Hi there. This is Ben Smith. I'm joined by the Julian Edelman to my Wes Walker, uh, Curtis Wister. How you doing today, Curtis? I'm well, Ben. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. We're in Portland today. Uh, really excited to, uh, to be in Portland. Uh, one of the topics we're covering today is, uh, exit planning. So I think a lot of this idea around retirement success is visualizing what are you retiring to? Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of the issues that we see from a client perspective uh from a lot of the conversations we have with with folks out there is this idea of how do i even exit right is yeah. i built something my identity is as wrapped up as being something and is it um it's, it's really a hard transition for people to go through so when we were uh when we were kind of thinking about designing the show and all the guests um one of the, one of the things we were talking about is we got to get somebody that was, uh, really an expert in the field of exit planning. For sure. So today, uh, we have David, uh, Jean in, in the studio today. And David is a managing partner with Altus Exit Strategies and is a principal at Albin Rendell and Bennett. So welcome, David. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. So we wanted to, uh, uh so uh, of course there's this kind of principle about exit strategies, right? And I, I think we wanted to get into. In terms of your background, like why, why you, right? What, why are you kind of the person that, that we think we wanted to bring in and talk to about this? In terms of your business, you have a couple of business structures we want to make sure that people are aware of as well, but then really dig into this idea of, of retirement success and, and business succession. Um, so those are the three parts we wanted to cover with you today. Maybe we could just dig into just first of all, you and your background, where you're from.
2: Sure. Actually, I grew up in uh, Lewiston, Maine, and I went to a University of Maine at Orono, and uh, decided that I go want, Black Bears. Yeah, <laughs> decided decide I want to make uh, Maine my home. So I live in uh, Auburn with my wife and uh, two kids and uh, several uh, several pets. Excellent. So, okay. Yeah, it's all good.
1: And so in terms of growing up like so you kind of have an accounting track that you you kind of landed into but how was how did you kind of find a passion for at first just accounting how did you kind of going through university of Maine, of course they have accounting tracks was that kind of where you discovered that uh, that line of thinking
2: No, i think uh, my interest in sort of finance and accounting and taxes uh i think it started really young my my dad was a teacher, and uh, to supplement his income, like a lot of teachers do, uh, he prepared taxes on the side. So uh, I would often go with him to his customers' uh, homes, and I would just watch him prepare tax returns. And even at an early age, I, I thought it was uh, fascinating in terms of understanding a little bit of the tax system and, and um, the whole process and the tax preparation. So um, that's kind of where I, I first gained some interest. And in high school, I took a couple of kind of classes. I Took some economic classes and I said, geez, this is kind of interesting. Um, so once I went to college, took some early classes again in accounting of finance and then just made sense to me. And so um uh, that's how it kinda came to be. Okay.
1: So, and of course, I think when you, when you kind of get on this track and you start getting into, well, career, right, is, I think there's a lot of pressure, which you find with Mainers a lot is there's more economic activity sometimes outside of the state mm-hmm. of Maine than in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we find that the theme you have a lot with Mainers is, you know, especially when you're from Maine, there's, there's this gravitational pull towards Boston or New York mm-hmm. or other, or other centers. So, uh, why Maine? why did you why did you kind of stick in Maine?
2: I, I think for myself, uh, I think uh, balance is very important in terms of raising a family, uh, the economics, uh, the landscape. and I never really had a desire to work in a big city. My mom grew up in London. Mm. Uh, I've, oh, wow. I've been to London a few times, and uh, maybe it was my mother's uh, maybe it was my mom's uh, uh, urging me not to uh, you know not to go to the big city because her experiences weren't as as uh you know as, as good there's nothing that would really drive me you know, out of out of the state Gotcha. Um, so I felt that you know maine, maine was a home
1: nice well so in reading your bio just preparing for our conversation today it mentions that you have an entrepreneurial spirit which I, I think we're uh, if you're in the business of giving advice to people that are running a business, I think that's pretty helpful in terms of uh, kind of making sure you're aligning with them and understanding where they're coming from. So, how did you get involved in in kind of the growing and starting of businesses in your career in that in that developing that spirit?
2: I think it was just sort of just a natural tendency that uh, I've always been more consultative in nature. Yep. Uh, very much more forward looking. Uh, so I like to look in the front view mirror and not in the rear view mirror. I guess I think of myself as sort of a non traditional account where uh, I happen to be more of a business consultant that happened to have um, some experience in the accounting and tax areas. And really, accounting really is really the language of business. So I think fundamentally, the tax and accounting really provides a great foundation to provide for you know consulting services and to be able to be a little more consultative in nature.
1: Nice. Okay uh so then how did you come around to being like what in terms of your your profession and your specialization right is um how did you become uh, interested in helping owners uh working towards succession and their business exit what what was the seminal moment for you or moments that kind of led up to hey that's something i'm really interested in why i want to help people with that issue
2: Probably happened about seven years ago. I uh, had a client called me. Uh, he was an owner of a manufacturing business, called me up and says, I'd like to come in the office and meet with you. I said, that's fine. And I just presumed it was a sort of a tax planning meeting. And uh, I remember it was uh, on a hot summer day, he came into his office with my wife and he disclosed the fact that he had brain cancer. Oh, wow. Uh, he was anticipating that it would be about six months or so uh, that he had left, but ultimately it was about two months and looking at how it all unfolded. Uh, he passed away. Very little life insurance. Uh, his wife, who took over the business, he was someone who was very entrepreneurial, but never really had systems in place. his intellectual knowledge really never, you know, uh, shared it with others in the organization. So there's really quite a f- void when he when he passed away. At that time, you know, he didn't really have a succession plan in place. Mm-hmm. So he did pass. There was a uh, a key employee. Who was, um, had a lot of the large customer contacts. And we tried to structure a buy sell agreement with him. And in doing so, as time went on, he wanted less, you know, he wanted to purchase, you know, the company for a real bargain purchase, which sure. created a lot of tension, which ultimately led to his. Dismissal. So he essentially left the company and brought along a lot of that business with him because he ended up being hired by a competitor. So let's think of here. Um, you know, you lost your major salesperson mm-hmm. to a competitor.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you've lost the business owner who really had a lot of that intellectual knowledge and you have a wife who was really unprepared to run the business. The way it unfolded, it took a few years for her to get the company back online. It is now profitable. They're doing quite well. And through that process, it was really, um, uh, I guess it was one of those, you know, uh, turning points where mm-hmm. I said, you know, it, there's got to be a better way for comprehensive exit planning. Sure. So at that point in time, uh, I really wanted to move away from transactional planning to really more comprehensive exit planning, really helping business owners that are three or five years out to help prepare for, a, for their succession, for their exit. And it's more about transaction planning. It's really about preserving the value of the business, enhancing the value of the business. Uh, making sure that we have a written plan, whether or not it's a third-party sale, an inside sale, an ESOP, but to work through that process and plan for that, Mm -hmm. or at least have contingency plans in place. So that was really the turning point where I really want to develop a practice that was not just about the transaction, but really about long-term planning.
1: So can you uh, wrap that into, and I I just want to just give, for those that haven't heard of Alvin Rendell & Bennett before, so Alvin Rendell & Bennett's located in Portland and Altus Exit Strategies, um, there's a relationship there. Can you uh, just walk us through... Just your relationship uh, and your role at both of them and then kind of how Altus Exit Strategies uh, is related to Albin, Randall, and Bennett. Sure.
2: Uh, so Albin, Randall, and Bennett is located in the old port in Portland. and. Albany Bennett really was formed in 1977. And the I guess the founding fathers of our firm were folks that had left one of the big, at that time, one of the big eight CPA firms. Mm. And who really wanted an alternative in the Portland market because at that point in time, it was largely populated with large firms. And they really wanted to have a sort of a big firm mentality, but having uh, the service delivered locally and, and personally. So that's really how it came about. So about five years ago, uh, we formed uh, Alta Segment Strategies as a subsidiary of Alden, Randall and Bennett. Okay. So for all intents and purposes, we're one of the same, but we thought it was important to position ourselves in the marketplace and to differentiate ourselves. Uh, so we thought it would be important to uh, really create a separate entity, market it separately. Um, so it was really done for, for, to be quite honest with you, for branding purposes mm-hmm. and for recognition.
1: And what, what I like about that structure, uh, just kind of personally and kind of seeing that out there, with, where we have uh, again a lot of people are looking for independent advice, right? Is they want something where they can go to somebody they've they've been through this, they understand what it takes to put a a successful success uh, succession plan in place. And I, I think from what I see in the industry is I see a lot of financial advisors that kind of step into that role because they're looking to unlock value of the owner in order to. Manage more of their assets. So there's other kind of formations of how to do that. But again, I, which is why we wanted to have you come on the show today. Is again, we really appreciate this. It's a consultative approach I'm taking here. I'm really just trying to work through a problem. And and our our fees are kind of measured by by kind of how we structure this today as an arrangement. So again, I, I like that the the structure that you're helping them with is around solving the problem of succession and not solving succession in order to get other business. Right. So, and of course, there's a good play back and forth between having sure. an accounting firm where sure. you may have relationships sure. and now they need me this, sure. you know, this moment in time. But can you talk about, obviously, you, in terms of find, uh, finding, uh, or founding the firm five years or the subsidiary five years ago, yep. Altus Exit Strategies, how has that grown from five years ago t- uh, to today?
2: Uh, it's, it's really been, uh, it's been exciting and, and perhaps maybe a little unexpected. Uh, I thought there was a great opportunity to bring these services to market. And I think you've said to it before, I mean, there's a lot of consultants out there mm-hmm. that do certain pieces of a exit plan. Right. But oftentimes, you really need a quarterback. And we work very collaboratively. So what happens is we work with a lot of the other advisors to develop a single comprehensive plan, as opposed to advisors working in silos. So what ends up happening is the business owner gets very frustrated because there's no one person that's delivering the plan. We're getting different opinions, mm-hmm. sometimes opposing opinions or different opinions. <laughs> right. So the frustration: what's the business owner going to do? Well, you know, like anything else, right? You're going to delay it, and and there's no. It's not moving forward. Somebody's going to be the catalyst, the quarterback. So we really serve that role as really being the the quarterback for the exit plan, and we work collaboratively with the other advisors to to get everybody on board in developing a single cohesive exit plan.
1: And all kind of a nice segue into this whole concept of retirement success, right? Is I, I think when people are solving things in silos, right? Is my, if my expertise is legal. My expertise is purely accounting or or it's financial advice or it's business advice that if you only operate in your only silo, that's the expertise you're going to bring to the table and we're all 360 degrees, right? As we all have issues and, and we all have things that we're trying to work through. And very rarely is it, well, you know, it's these, what am I solving in terms of the exit? It's also the why, right? Why am I exiting and what what am I exiting to, and again, I, which is why I like the concept and you and I have spoken offline a little bit before. And and that's what I wanted to get to in terms of uh, uh, when you're seeing these first generation of owners out there and they're trying to consider uh, succession options it might be family. Uh, we had Susan uh, Ware page on a, a few episodes ago and it was a family succession is what they did. But in terms of succession, what would you say are elements of success uh, for for succession from... Again, from a first-generation owner that's exiting to the next party, what would you say would be the elements of success there?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And, and and at least from my perspective, I think it starts with strong family values and open communication. I mean, you think of it, it's for some families, it's very difficult to weave business and family conversations on an everyday basis. Yeah. And, you know, when I look at some of the successful Clients that we have that are multiple generations, I always go back to strong family values, sense of family, you know, commitment, you know, those sort of things that I think are really important that really bind a family together. And at least that's been my, you know, my uh, observations. And again, I recently was involved in, we have a client, uh, third generation and the transition process of the gen- third generation was really to some extent quite kind of simple. Strong family values. Very much core values aligned, mm-hmm. um, commitment to family. And this is a family situation that has, you know, many children, you know, grandchildren. Some are in the business. Some are not in the business. So how do you balance equity and fairness? Right. It's sometimes difficult to balance. And they're just uh, really strong, committed families. And I think that really speaks volume. And when the family member gets involved in the business, they start at the bottom. There's no preferential treatment. And if they're going to get promoted, they're going to get promoted on their own merits, and there are mm-hmm. no guarantees. There, are, right. there, there's nothing at that time. So you work for it, and you get rewarded for it. And, so, uh, so
1: I, I, and to pause you there, that that may be kind of maybe opposite. And I think from the external party perspective, is you go, hey, um, you know, you're you're obviously you have the family name, right, and you're you're coming into your family business that you must be just walking in at senior management just day one, right? Is is that, right. and, and maybe that is a Some, some families treat it that way. But I I guess, um, the opposite there in terms of, well, you know, you talked about family values and, and those things where they're, they're kind of starting from the bottom and they're having to work their way into it. What would you say would be the opposite in terms of what would cause a, say, family succession Mm -hmm. to sour?
2: I think the ones that I have come across with over the years are in situations where perhaps ownership, responsibilities, was you know given to the next generation too quickly when they weren't prepared hmm. you know they didn't have the skill set the experience the leadership the management skill set and sometimes just being premature and quite honestly there are some cases where the next generation doesn't have the skill set right and i think at that point in time i think that the matriarch of the patriarch uh, needs to be honest and open and say you can still be an owner but perhaps we need to be professionally managed. I mean, there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with bringing in a, a CEO or CFO to uh, bring in a skill set that perhaps that next generation doesn't have. And there's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's, it's, it's still very honorable, but we have to embrace that concept is that the most important party to any succession plan transaction is the company. So we have to make sure that the company. Uh, remained strong mm-hmm. and, and and so forth. So I think we we just need to make sure that we need to really evaluate objectively the skill set of the next generation and make sure they're they're prepared.
1: So in terms of that kind of then agreement on maybe how, the capabilities of the next generation and how they're being assessed on, on that, do you, is, do you see a, in terms of conflict, right? Do you see obviously family conflict anyway, right? There's between parents and kids and it's always not cool what your mom and dad are doing anyway, right is mm-hmm. that's, that's regardless to say sure. that's going to happen but is is that something where you see where things are not going well? Is there just kind of a a value difference where you're seeing well i I am capable and they're not really they're not really self aware enough to know that they're they're not able to do the job, yeah. but other parties are saying that is, is there do you see that as a major friction point at times?
2: It is. And sometimes what we'll do is we we um employ a different number of different assessments to really assess the behaviors, the motivators, uh, the skill set of that next generation. But also we'll do that for the, you know, for the earlier generation to to kind of line up, yep. you know, our motivators and behaviors. Are you aligned or are you not aligned? And I think from those assessments, which are very objective, we can say, look, you know, these are some of the areas that you know, for the next generation, that you need some coaching on, some counseling, some development. So then we evaluate. You know, can we get to you? Can we get you to where you need to be? Or you know, do we need to look for outside support, bring in someone else to to help in some of those areas that you may not gotcha. have the skill set for, forth and, and and so forth. So again, it's it's making sure that when we look at the management team development. We're really evaluating not just the successor, but also the rest of the management team as well. So perhaps there's some movement that may be needed okay. to help balance everything out. Okay.
1: So zooming out a little bit, right? We're just covering family succession there. In terms of, all right, if I'm, if I'm maybe a majority owner of a of a company or a business, or I'm maybe part of a team, or I'm a leader of the team, or I'm a CEO, or I'm you know an executive in a certain role. What sort of range of emotions do you see those people go through as they're getting ready to think about retirement, or what 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 range of emotions are then preventing them mm-hmm. from actually admitting, "Hey, may, maybe I, I I'm losing capability here," mm-hmm. or maybe I'm not the best person to be leading the organization at this time? And and you know, and I'll keep going just for a quick second here is what was pretty fascinating about Susan's story is you hear, well, there's three generations. Well, the the grandfather was starting the business and very much from a startup, and that was his skill set. He was really good at being a startup. Susan's father comes in, and the next level of growth, he's very good at and innovated. Now, you know, they all have to be very different managers at different periods of time, right? Because they're different organizations. So, you know, and that's a tough thing to then let go of, right? Is, hey, I was the person calling this, and maybe I'm not the best person so what sort of emotions do you see around, you know, with that preface uh, about someone exiting from their business?
2: Yeah, that's actually, when we, when we talk about exit planning and the process, um, one of the biggest barriers is really some of the emotional barriers. Oftentimes, the, the financial uh, implications or the financial objectives of structuring it, you know, that tends to be sort of certainly, in some respects, easier. Because um, we could put numbers to it. We can do some projections, forecasting, tax planning. There's a lot of things that we can do. But when it comes to the emotional side, there's nothing I can really do to move the business owner to the next stage of retiring until they're, till they're ready. Right. And sometimes they'll do it on their own. Sometimes, unfortunately, it could be a life, major life event, you know, the birth of a grandchild, maybe health issue. Sometimes we'll see a lot of pressure from the spouse. Wanting, you know, the, the, business owner to, to protect the business, protect the family and so forth. So sometimes it's life changing event. And the reality is if a lot of business owners, I mean, it's their child, you know, they started mm. 50 years ago, they work mm-hmm. seven days a week. For sure. They put their house at risk. They put, you know, everything at risk to, uh, to build the to build a company. And you just can't walk away from it after 50 years or 25 years or, or whatever. And, you know, a lot of business owners don't have a lot of outside activities. So the fear of what am I going to do the day after? I don't golf, right? I, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of volunteering, and um, there's a void. How you gonna fill that void? So again, what we try to do is when we talk to business owners, we help them visualize. You know, tell me what is the morning after gonna look like. Mm-hmm. And if they say, "Geez, I got plans. I want to work on my camp. I want to go visit my grandchildren," then I know that they're very much kind of um, looking forward to the next uh, part of their life. But the person that says. I don't really know what I'm what I'm going to do. Yeah. That's pretty difficult, and that's
1: a that's a theme we we up in you know we're, we're we've had several episodes at this point, and that's what you hear a lot is this whole uh, again retiring from something. Those people that are retiring from from are having a really difficult time with what their purpose is who they are what yeah. they're trying to do and the ones that really have identified they've they visualized, they've goal set they've really yeah. figured that out they seem to yeah. be a much easier transition there so yeah. it's it's yeah. kind of that back and forth has been uh, the
2: issue yeah i mean you know one of the exercises that i suggest and i, I know some people roll their eyes and think it's a bit corny but i, I do tell business owners look go and inside you know go to staples buy yourself a you know a, a whiteboard i say put together a vision board i mean Cut pictures out of a magazine. And what do you want to do? If you want to go boating, take a picture of a boat. If you want to go on a camp, do a camp, take a picture yeah. of a camp. If you want to go to vacation to Maui, take a picture of Maui. Uh, your grandchildren, put your picture of your grandchildren there. If you want to volunteer, whatever, put some of the organizations there. So really what we're trying to do is we're trying to have the business owner sort of think through and visualize what the morning after is going to be. And it's a really great exercise to get them thinking about the future and vision it. And the reality is, you know, and when we think about exit planning, the word exit planning has a really strong connotation to it. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of business owners, exit means mortality. So you're looking at, to some extent, your mortality because it's just another part of your life that you're letting go. And it's the latter stages of your life. So there's just a lot of emotional things that, you know, go into to an owner's head. But I find... then, Then the other thing you got is you got some of the family dynamic issues that are difficult. So perhaps you have two kids in the business and... One's a high performer, the other one's not. You've got to make a difficult decision. Is it going to be common ownership, majority ownership? How are you going to deal with that? And how about the children who are not in the business? Then from an estate planning perspective, how do you balance that? You know? So there's just a lot of family dynamics and a lot of family tensions that need to be dealt with.
1: So would you say for, for those that, you know, maybe are delaying that decision, that retirement like that. That, those would be the, the examples you just gave about, well, here I have tough decisions to make. That, that's a lot of what they, they kind of look at is, well, maybe not going to retire because I never, I don't really want to face this decision, right? This is a tough one and I'm not going to go through other things because that's going to force me to have a difficult relationship or, or cause a different, difficult relationship with my kids. vice versa we see that with retirement as well as I'm not going to retire because I don't want to retire and then have to face something that right. I'm scared to face right is because yeah. the next maybe the thing after retirement that I'm facing is my mortality mm-hmm. right? and that's something else I don't want to be facing either so you know there's you know, I think all of it's emotional, really, honestly, is it, it? you kind of face the, the financial is a lens to it. You know, it's a, it's a tool to be used to solve the emotional part. But, but I think that's something where we find that, you know, like there's a lot of things that are people are anxious about that cause them not to leave the business. What other thing, are there other things you would say that people are anxious about right now or other triggers that they say, you know, other than just maybe there's a family situation or facing retirement that you see in your work, uh, that people are, are causing them to delay retirement? I think
2: the keys again. I think you as you've alluded to, you know, the family dynamics of it, the reluctancy to let go because they don't know what they're going to do. You know, sort of the day after. Some business owners just truly enjoy doing what they're doing. The the concern there is that you know if something you know unexpected happens to them, we're in a really difficult position. Sure. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes it's financial. It really depends. I mean we've got been in situations where financially the business owner is financially independent anything they get for the business ultimately it's going to probably get passed down or maybe get you know perhaps some that's going to get uh you know donated and so forth uh sometimes financially it it is important that you know there's a gap that they you know between their retirement assets and their business in terms of what they need to live comfortably sometimes there is a financial gap and Mm -hmm. they need to you know, build the value of the business and maybe they need another three, five years to achieve the financial independence that they need. So well, sometimes there is, you know, there is um some some reasons for that for that delaying. One thing I've learned over the years is that when people retire, they don't want to have a a, a, a lower standard of living, so to speak. Right. Yeah, sure. Nobody wants to sell the house and live in a yurt. Uh although there's nothing wrong with living in a right. yurt. Right. Uh <laughs> I've I've tented in a <laughs> yurt and it's very it's very enjoyable, but uh possibly if not full in you know, a long term. Sure. So again, sometimes there's emotional reasons, and sometimes there are non-emotional reasons for that for that delayment. And I think the other thing too is another reasons why we often will find a delay is that you know oftentimes we'll have uh, business owners come to the office, and you know we we have our first sit down discussion, and the business owner is overwhelmed. Uh, I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. I don't know what questions to ask. I don't know who to go see because for most business owners, this is the most significant financial transaction of their life. They have never been through it. Mm-hmm. so yeah. where do I go who do right. I see what question I don't know where to start so what happens is like anything else business owner gets frustrated you know why do it today and why I can do it tomorrow sure sort of thing then you become in that five year you know rolling yeah. time period when you gonna talk about five years yeah. And yeah. five years comes up another five years I'd say uh that is um trying to get past that uncertainty and helping them explain, educate them. You know, this is the process. We can do this for you. We, we, we do this all the time. And um uh, I think when you kind of diffuse some of the concerns and it's a process and it's a sort of a proven process that we use, then I think at that point in time, once you get a little buy-in, then they're a little more apt to move forward.
1: Yeah. And which is, again, why I again, appreciate coming on the podcast, right, is it, some of it is, you know, there's a difficult topic that we're all facing. And because maybe Mainers as a group, we maybe don't like talking about vulnerabilities, right? As we don't want to kind of say, hey, I'm raising my hand and I have a problem and and I I don't want to just admit it. So is giving a passive way for people to connect to this is, well, I don't need to go research everything of what's right for me on this difficult situation. But if I know that there is, hey, there's like, David, I can go talk to about this and I can just have a conversation or Here's another thing that we are having an issue with, and I can you can just kind of piece people together. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about Maine is you know again we're we're in Portland, we're in Bangor, we're in all these different places, and it's a pretty easy conversation to have with everybody. And everyone's very approachable. So why not just connect people to those problems and then just start from there? That's the hardest part of the whole thing. And I think I I have
2: found over the years that one strategy that I find to be very successful. Is, um, start with little pieces, you know, have little successes. So instead of talking to the owner about doing a comprehensive, you know, three to five exit plan, perhaps we just help you put together an emergency operating plan. How yep. about if you just lucky your estate at least, um, you know, so the unexpected happens to you, you know, you've got safeguards in place, you know, looking at insurance coverage, you know, so all of a sudden, you know, the business owner gets some success. It's like, well, that wasn't too bad. Oh, okay. Look, yeah. let's, how about if we do this? And, and sometimes that's, you know, uh, that's the, um, Sometimes the only way to make it work is really do it sort of in chunks, and you're ultimately going to get there. Uh, it, it may not be the most efficient way to get there, but welcome. But you know, I, I think a lot of these things we, we're, we're concerned about effectiveness and efficiency, just as long as we get there. And it's based on the owner's timetable, and I can only sort of push them so hard. Right. So I feel that sometimes if you if you take the universe and you you you, you kind of make it a little smaller
1: let's just you know it's easier to absorb right it's easier to uh to kind of bite or chew on right as it's yeah. like hey and that also is sometimes you get momentum right as i get a success right then i get another success and i go okay well th- i'm feeling good about it. i'm actually making right. progress towards what i'm what i'm right. thinking about it. and it's, if it's overwhelming i maybe don't right. do anything at all uh on that theme of main though i really want to kind of dig in here because again mainer's uh you know, I think from outside, I think people in Maine kind of uh, – or people attitudes towards Maine, they say, geez, Mainers are a little bit of a different group. I think we kind of say that ourselves. Uh, so, we're special. Yeah, <laughs> we're special. So, and, and even within Maine, right, we have, you know, the, the coastal regions and the mountain regions and, you know, way up north with the farms and, you know, maybe a little bit more urban for Maine and Portland. So you have all these different pockets, which are very different as well. So in terms of Maine, what are you seeing that um, in terms of businesses and succession that you're seeing maybe, whether it be exiting or struggling to exit, that you're seeing maybe specific to Maine as well?
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, of course, Maine, uh, a lot of small businesses, a lot of family businesses, a lot of multi-generational businesses. I think legacy – um for a lot of main businesses is important. And I've certainly had some situations with business owners that'll say, you know, kind of quote Jerry Maguire, just show me the money. Mm. Um, that the legacy was really uh, not really important to them or relevant. It just they want to cash as much as possible. And that's fine. Um, but I do find that a lot of main businesses, legacy the name, community, commitment to the community, you know, job in the community, yeah. really important, family. And a lot of uh, loyalty to employees who have been with the business for many, many years. So oftentimes when a business owner does the part, you know, they want to add some protection for the employees. Perhaps that there's some sort of a state bonus or incentive plans in place to really say thank you, you know, for all the effort. So, again, being in smaller businesses, it's a little more personal in nature. So I think that's kind of unique. Uh, at least that's been, you know, certainly my experience.
1: In regards to, I think with the state of Maine, and one of the things that we see is with like, the median age in the state of Maine is is pretty high relative to other states in the country. Do you think there's going to be difficulty in owners exiting businesses? It just seems like for young professionals, uh, there's just maybe less and less of a crop of young professionals, maybe even staying in Maine, and which is maybe exasperating the problem here of you have an aging community and then less young people. So finding succession options maybe without maybe a third-party sale or internally, it just seems like that might be a difficult proposition for maybe going forward. What do you, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, we've certainly seen some trends. I mean, you know, a lot of experts believe that within the next you know 20 years, there's going to be about $10 trillion worth of business value that's going to be transitioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the baby boomers obviously retiring. So we've never seen this in the... In the history of our country, in terms mm-hmm. of this intergenerational uh, transfer, you know, ten trillion dollars—I don't know how many zeros that are—but <laughs> right. uh, it's more than uh, what I have for fingers. Right. So there's going to be a tremendous amount of wealth transfer, and there's a couple of challenges here. Uh, one is the the reality is there's going to be more sellers than buyers, so there's really going to be a glut. I mean, you're going to have business owners here, and, and again, during the next twenty years, where there's just not going to be a lot of um, bona fide buyers. There could mm. be more sellers than buyers. Then on top of that, which is going to affect business values like anything else, right? Supply and demand. Then you've got the millennials who are less risk tolerant than the baby boomer generation. So what we're finding is that there are fewer young people moving forward that want to own a business on their own, take the risk, sign on the paper, sign with the bank and so forth. Yeah. So that's why we're seeing an uptick in terms of ESOPs, where it's sort of you know, it's just, it's more of a collaborative approach to buying a business with risk diversification.
1: Can you just uh, – for maybe those sure. that are listening right now that don't know what ESOP stands for, ESOP. Employee
2: Stock Ownership Plan, yep. Yep. where essentially over a period of time, the employees uh, own the company, yep. whether or not it's 100% or whether or not it's, it's, it's a, a lesser percent. And we're seeing those – we're seeing a little bit of rise in cooperatives, particularly the agricultural industry, similar concept. It's a different animal, but similar concept then a lot of the inside transfers that I've been in that are non-family, even a smaller businesses, it takes three, four people, a key employee group to want to purchase the business. Whereas in the baby boomer generation, there would be more individuals that are willing to take on that risk and so forth. And now it's much more collaborative where you got more people that are willing to purchase, but have more risk diversification. So really what we're saying here is that I'm finding that a lot of of uh, new young buyers are willing to take less rewards for less risk. Right. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's just a shift. It's, it's sort of a paradigm shift to some extent. Um. The other thing we're seeing, and this is primarily with larger businesses in Maine, are you know private equity. So we've had a lot of transactions that have been involved in the past couple of years that they're outside. Private equity groups are coming in and buying up uh, Maine businesses. And uh, so again, that's another source of capital, and we're going to see more of that. That's just the reality. You know, we've got there's a lot of cash out there. There's a lot of private equity money that's going out there, and they're going after good, profitable businesses.
1: And we we kind of hear again from businesses that we work with a lot is there's this. And Susan alluded to this in our previous podcast. Is there's pride about having control and ownership, and having things located in the state of Maine. That we're doing business with other Mainers and then we're not doing business with, yeah, they may have locations here, but they're really controlled out of Atlanta, Canada or Omaha or Texas or wherever. Is, is that a theme you see as well That as a as a value of, well, I built my business here and I want to continue to have it be in control here? Is that something you're hearing people say as a, as they exit?
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, what, what people say, what people do. Sure, I, I, it's I, two, different oh, yeah. yep. two different things. Two different things. And the situation that I've been involved in, I mean, these were offers from outside private equity groups that are basically consolidating certain types of businesses yeah. and basically kind of rolling them up. Um, you're paying, you know, five to seven times multiples, you know, to get that in the local marketplace or, you know, to have it do an inside transfer. You're not going to have an employee who's going to be able to come up with five, 10, 15, 20 million dollars. Right. So you get to the point where it has to become a third party sale. So do you go through private equity or you do go through some sort of intermediary? Some business broker. And these are companies that are, you know, 5 million plus. Most of them are, are, are 10 million plus. And they're really good candidates uh, for these private equity groups. And I, you know, I, to some extent, the private equity groups, at least the ones I've been involved in, you know, they try to keep things as much local as possible. Uh, they try to retain the management, you know, obviously the employees, but there's certainly some consolidation of services. Mm. Um, and it just has to be, you know, those sort of things. And we're going to see more of it.
1: Okay. In regards to, Again, the the name of this podcast is "Right Retirement Success in Maine." How do you think business owners right now um, are envisioning retirement success, and and then kind of as the follow up, and how do you think they should be envisioning it? Right? Is there so what are they seeing today, and what are they? What do you think they should be looking at for their retirement success? Well, if we're talking
2: within the within, within the uh, the owner business ownership sure. sort of a group, you know, we always talk about the fact that. The biggest fear is, you know, is dying a close second is the fear of running out of money. And I know that's where you folks, um, (laughs) investment advisors play an important critical role. So when we start the exit planning process, we do a lot of work in the discovery process. And part of the discovery process is we try to identify what the business owner has for assets. And we do that in collaboration with the financial advisor. We don't provide personal financial plans mm-hmm. we do a lot of business cash flow modeling forecasting those sort of things but when it comes to sort of individual financial plans we don't do that we look to folks gotcha. such as yourself to do that so what we do is we try to do a gap analysis look you know you've got your retirement plan assets you know what is your retirement needs based on all these various assumptions life expectancy um, what do you have for obviously for retirement assets what standard of living do you want you know what are some things that you want to do those sort of things so when we find out what they need, what they have for retirement, existing retirement assets, that means the rest of it has to come from the business. Mm-hmm. Right? So what's the gap? Mm-hmm. So if they say, well, I really need three million dollars from the company in order to achieve what our retirement financial objectives are, we've then value the business. So the value is two million, we have a gap issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If the value of the business is five million and that's easily achievable, we're probably good. Right. So early on we do that gap analysis. At that point in time, that will then illustrate to us what we need to do. Do we need to value the business? Do we need to wait another couple of years to get the value where it is? What are some things that we can do to grow the business, enhance the value of the business? So we do a lot of what we call sort of pre-sale due diligence where um, we look at a lot of different value drivers of the business. Uh, We look at the operation of the business, look for areas of underperforming, set a strategic plan moving forward to how can you get your numbers to where they need to be. So we do a lot of financial modeling back into the valuation Seeing this is where you need to be. And that's a, a critical step. Without doing that step, I don't right. know how anybody can move forward. Yep, it's just it, it's just impossible. So a lot of the important things that we need to uncover is early on in the discovery process. And again, we always look at a what's the gap? What do you need out of the business? When do you want to retire? Both you know fully retire as well as sort of scaling back. And the who you know who do you plan on transferring to? Is inside? Is it outside? And with our approach, we're agnostic whether or not it's a place ownership plan an inside transfer, a third-party sale, liquidation. It's not really important to us mm-hmm. which door we're using. It's whatever door makes the most sense for this particular business owner.
1: So there, there's two things you highlighted there, right? Is, is obviously, there there could be the, here's what you need to make your retirement plan work, right? And, and determining that success. Also, here's what here's what the value of the business is worth. And then identifying those two differences. Isn't don't you find that there's sometimes a third element there of, you know, I think where owners have a pride of what they they've built and what they value that they maybe have a their own internal metric that they sure. use to value their own sure. business, which sure. has maybe nothing to do with any sure. industry metric. And it's like, well, sure. I, I want this to be worth fifteen million dollars. Sure. But you look at the sure. The market out there, and it's only right. worth five. Right. But they have this—I don't know—there's a anchoring, yeah. uh, like a psychological anchoring that they have sometimes to a a number, and that there's something that they're trying to achieve there. We see it on the wealth side as well, on the wealth management of, right. I'm only going to retire when I achieve a certain level of liquid wealth, right? And that's when I achieve that. Now I have my AIG number that you see people carrying around in the commercials, right? <laughs> yeah. Is I have it, I can yeah. do it, and now yeah, it all yeah. works. Which it is it's not always that way, right? right. It is but but do you see that from a business valuation side too? Is that something that that's we comes we up? do?
2: And and to be honest, it's all over the spectrum. Yeah, uh, I've seen situations with business owners come in and they think their company isn't worth that much when in fact it, it's worth more than they think. And there are certainly those situations where they have false sense of you know valuation where they think the company's worth a hundred million. And I'm, I'm being somewhat coy sure. yeah. But um, when it's really only you know, worth five million dollars. So, but a lot of that we can kind of illustrate why it is what it is and. And we have to look at it as an investment. I mean, what's it spinning off for cash flow? So you can kind of bring it to something that's a little more objective and as to why it's valued as it is. And I think most people come around eventually to the reality of the valuation. So yeah, sometimes we're starting from a from a real valuation gap. Yep. And we we, we try to, you know, again use a little bit of, you know, practicality and common sense and kind of explain to it this is kind of why. You know, so you have to separate, right? you have to separate the, the the realities of the business versus you know the, the emotional realities of it.
1: Gotcha. Okay. And Do you feel like sometimes you know I'm an owner and I'm looking at my own retirement success, and a lot of times that owner can be the rainmaker of the company, right? Is they're the ones that you know, they got the contracts, or they they got the clients, or they developed the business, and they feel like you know my retire my personal retirement success. I have my my spouse maybe chirping in my ear. I have Family members saying, "You're old enough. Come on, why aren't you just retired and in kind of moving on?" Do you feel like there, there's a lot of this um, that there's mutual exclusivity between if I can't achieve my own personal retirement success because if I do, this hurts the business, and vice versa. That it just maybe there's a tugging that's going on between them of if I remove myself because I'm a key man, I'm I'm so important to this organization. If I remove it. It's all going to fall apart, and now my legacy is gone. But I might be okay personally. Mm-hmm. But again, my I have employees that have been here for thirty years, and I don't want to see them hurt, and mm-hmm. I I don't want to, my reputation to go away, and all those things. Right. Uh, those are conversations we have a lot with. I yeah. think with clients right. as they're exiting or they're thinking about, is they feel like those are exclusive ideas. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you go about kind of challenging that or, or really showing them? All right, here's the methodology to kind of get to that point. I know you covered some of that already, but I want to explore it. Yeah, more. I
2: mean, sometimes we have to kind of hit that topic kind of hard. And you know, we talk a little bit about having a vision board earlier. Sometimes what we'll also do is talking to the business owner and say, you know, walk me through what happens if something were to happen to you tomorrow. Visualize, tell me what's going to happen to the organization. Who's going to take over your place? could be sales, could be marketing, could be finance. Uh, where the case may be, you know, who's going to make those difficult decisions? What is your wife going to do? You want to keep the business? You know, walk me through the process. What can happen to key employees? Who's going to tell your customers? You know, right. who's in charge? Who's the CEO? Who's going to be the decision-making? Who has the authority to, to, to cut checks, enter in contracts? Uh, does your wife know the business? Does she want to keep the business? And if so, you know, if you wanted to sell it, where are you going to go? I mean, who, you know, what path are you going to take? So I think, and, and if you kind of visualize what happens the next morning, if something happens to the business owner unexpectedly, they will tell you the realities, the harsh realities. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be a problem. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I don't even know if my, uh, my right-hand person, Joe or Sally, whoever it may be, they may jump ship. I don't really know. I never had that conversation with them. So those are real challenges. And I think you have to have that, that honest conversation. I think getting back to your earlier point, one of the biggest challenges is when we have a business owner who is financially independent, mm. has no need to sell the business, mm-hmm. just loves doing what he's doing
1: yeah.
2: and really not motivated to do anything.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no pain, right? Because no, when there's pain, when there's enough pain, then people make changes. There's no pain point.
2: Yep. So at least in those situations, I say, look, I said, I, I you know, I understand you're not ready to, to, to make that, you know, difficult decision. But put together what we call an EOP, an emergency operating plan, which is basically a, a, a written plan that's designed to be given to family members and to all your advisors and saying, you know, if something were happening tomorrow, this is who's in charge. This is the CFO. This is the CEO. This is how we're going to tell our customers. You know, this is where all my bank account information is, my passwords. Uh, these are the listing of all my advisors. This is how I would like to... Uh, transition my business perhaps it's through a third-party sale this is the name of the broker this is what i think it's worth and maybe have some state bonuses state bonus plans in place so that you know your key employees get incentivized that they stick around for one or two years through a successful transition and yep. maybe monetize that so we want something in place until they're really ready to to make that that decision to transition
1: so what i really like about that whole process right is i i think we're you know, from a personal side, and we had this conversation with attorneys at Robin Winchell on the estate planning end and up in Bangor. So one of the things that, you know, you find is, well, again, people don't want to address mortality, so they, they delay that. But a lot of what you're doing is a lot of the same thing of it's succession and estate planning almost for the business, right? Is the yeah. same, altogether. you know, it's the power of attorneys it's and altogether. who's going to step in and yeah. who's going to, so it's, it's yeah. kind of this whole package. Yeah. And it's just a extension of just personally what happens with my assets and my things and Absolutely. who speaks for me. So it kind of, I like that. That's um, again, it's, it's a very similar vein uh, in terms of that thinking.
2: Yeah. I, you hit it. You know, estate planning, Business planning, you know, personal financial planning, they are all interconnected, intermingled, and those sort of things. So when we do this, it's really important that We hit all those areas, you know, simultaneously so that they are in alignment. I mean, I don't know how someone could do exit planning without estate planning, without business planning. Right. I just don't understand how that can be done. And which
1: is again, from our end, when we're saying, Hey, I'm sitting down with you. You're a new client. We're doing financial planning and you have this situation. You are a business owner. You are, um, you do have significant liquid assets and, or, you know, you have, you own property in multiple states. And what does an estate plan look like? You know, we can't give you very good advice if we don't know all the the pieces and how to treat them. And again, we be we want to be very good in a certain area. We can't be good in everything. So you got to partner with with the experts in each of these yeah. fields to make sure you're doing a really great job for the client. Which is why we really appreciate you coming on today, David. Is that I think this is a really fantastic conversation to have. I do want to um, uh, wrap up with a with a personal question to you. This is the stretch goal question. <laughs> wow is uh, is kind of you personally retirement success. So, you know, you you of course are sitting in the in the really great seat where you're seeing business owners mm-hmm. struggle with the emotional stuff finding their, you're helping them find their own retirement success. You have the ability to see and forecast yourself a little bit and what your attitudes are. What are you thinking about your own retirement success as that uh, approaches well in the future?
2: Well, you know, it's you know, everybody defines you know retirement success differently. I mean, th- as a partner in a, in a CPA firm, I mean, we have a, a sort of retirement plan in, in mm-hmm. terms of how our partners are, how we exit and so forth. So that, that's very much in place and very solid. But when you go beyond that, I enjoy what I do. And I'm going to continue working until I no longer want to go to work Monday mornings. And that's really my barometer. And it could be five years from now, 10 years from now, or 20 years from now. But I'm a firm I'm a believer in being active. Uh, and I can honestly see myself working at some you know, maybe reduce schedule in my seventies. Okay. For me, I enjoy work. I enjoy, uh, I enjoy people. I think that the service we provide, uh, are critically important and it makes a difference in people's lives. So for me, um, you know, that brings me a, a lot of joy and fulfillment. I'll continue doing as long as I can.
1: And, and continue to balance. All the other pieces in your life too, right? With it is. And here. I
2: can't do, I don't see myself, you know, working, you know, six, seven days a week uh, during my seventies. Right. But I think retirement is also retiring on your terms. And I think that's really important. My terms is to have obviously work life balance. I hope to have a, a lot of grandchildren. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any right now. And that could certainly be, we talked about one of those life events that yeah. could certainly be life changing, but I enjoy, you know, what I'm doing today and uh, I'll continue to do it until, um, Until it's no longer fun, wherever that's going to be. Okay.
1: Well, David, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate the time. And we'll, uh, we'll uh, keep you in mind for another one as we can deep, uh, deep dive into the next topic.
2: Great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: I was really happy that we were able to sit down with David today. It was a, it's a good conversation to get to know him. All right. So the first part is I, I know uh, from our client perspective, we see enough um, enough people that are in a certain role and they, they don't need to necessarily need to be business owners or an executive. They just have an identity with, with their role yeah. in exiting. So I, I know obviously David and, and uh, Altus exit strategies is really focused really on, on a certain clientele, It mm. it's really great to, to hear that process and hear how, they attacked that uh, that idea and how a lot of people were having uh, difficulty exiting uh, from their professional career. So it was, uh, I, personally, I, I got a lot of that today. Yeah, it, it was great to hear certainly his side of of the transaction, if you will. You know, we previously had that conversation with Susan and, you know, we saw the, si- the situation from her perspective. And it was really cool to see it from, you know, the professional, you know, the execution perspective as mm-hmm. well. You know, one piece that stuck out to me was as David was kind of going through their process and how he sits down with, you know, the the business or the the individuals running a business, it it ran pretty much parallel with those conversations that, you know, you and I have with our clients. It's he was talking about the gap in in their retirement and, and finding a purpose for them to something to, for them to retire to. It's it literally was treating the business like a person, which I think is what needs to be done. And what was pretty fun is, you know, kind of using this concept of a storyboard. Yeah. And, and using the whiteboard and, and kind of going through and cutting out, um, things that, that you, you want to do in your retirement yeah. or, or people that are important to you and that you're really filling up a space of all the things that you are important to you. And I really like that concept. And, and that's a, I think that's an exercise that, we we like to do with our clients at times too is for sure is just sitting down and in writing it but I, again i like the extension he went even further on the like here's a visual yeah and you can kind of fill up a whole white space of here's what we do and here's what we why we want to go here yeah. why do we want to what are we working towards and yes it's it's i'm comfortable and i'm happy in my professional role today but like these are the things that are really important to me in my life and my value system so it was, a, it was a really cool uh, exercise they had. It was. I do want to um, kind of give uh, the audience a little bit of a plug here too. And David uh, wrote a book with John Brown, uh, which you can find on Amazon. It's called Exit Planning, the Definitive Guide. So uh, I think if those are out there that, you know, hey, uh, maybe I, I don't – I'm not ready to kind of have that conversation with David and his team at Altus Exit Strategies. But, you know, there's a book that you can look at and browse. And there's lots of really exercises and activities and checklists to help, uh, start that process and start you thinking through that. Um, Altus on their website as well has, has a resource that you can go through. And it's a quick 10 to 15 minute exercise that you can kind of walk through. So for those that, again, maybe it's, maybe you are in the business succession, um, areas, what you're thinking about, or maybe I'm like, well, here in my small business or here in my role, maybe it's just one of me and my organization you know yeah. there's lots of situations that you could sit down with and get some utility from that so i want to make sure that people were aware of of those utilities out there but for us uh, so you can get to more resources for for the show again the, the the link to amazon for that book will be on our website you can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com/7 and you can see more of our conversation with david uh, you can get all those resources there and uh, and kind of see for yourself yeah. so appreciate everyone listening today again always uh, always happy that you're tuning in uh, if you have any comments or suggestions please free to reach out uh, but we'll see you next time. <laughs>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session